Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Zoltan Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rai, aka Dynasty Zoltan. I'll be bringing you the best Dynasty content your zero dollars can buy. And for the next few months, I'll be focusing on, of course, the rookie draft. I have all your favorite Dynasty analysts lined up to dive deep with me into the statistics and film of all of the major prospects to get you ready for those drafts. I'll also be hosting episodes on Dynasty Startup Strategy, including the one-year punt, how to negotiate a trade, when it's time to hit the rebuild button, and way, way more. For today's inaugural episode, I'm of course going to be talking about the massive Panthers-Bears trade for the number one overall pick, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite analysts in the space, Jacob Sanderson. Jacob, welcome on the show. Yeah, what's up? I'm excited. Fun time in Dynasty. We just finished up the Combine. We're in free agency. Uh, we'll be running into the draft soon. This is this is this is the time for Dynasty Twitter to shine, really. Yeah, this is our time. Uh, it's it's. I mean, I, I'm not a big you know basketball guy. I don't do any redraft anymore. So this is really the time where you know people like you and I who dig into both film and stats can really uh, make the differentiation between us and our league mates. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, this is this is by far the most fun time to do trades. Like, plus you don't have any roster needs. All your rosters are good right now. You just get to paint the best case scenario for all of them. You're full of hope and happiness. Uh, this is by far my favorite time of the year to do trades because you just don't really have to worry about the contingency plans as much. Like, you can just yeah. fire through and try to get the players you want. Try to get the structure of rosters you want. And like, if it leaves you with three starting wide receivers, like whatever you have like six months to figure that out, right? Whereas there's just so many more limitations on what you can do when, when all of a sudden it's August and September. So this is this is a great time to play Dynasty. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, you don't have to worry about rostering uh, like Jimmy Garoppolo as a QB3 right now. You can always pick one up if you're in a playoff chase uh, later on in the in the season. Um, obviously, we had, uh, we had a lot of excitement last weekend. Uh, kind of the offseason really kicked off. Uh, with the Bears Panthers trade. And I'd like to really dive deep into that with you. Um, I know Mm -hmm. uh, I I got honestly a lot of shit on Twitter for some of my takes uh, specifically regarding DJ Moore. Um, And a lot of that has to do with kind of what you were saying, how it's Mm -hmm. the off season. It's, it's stagnant, right? Nothing's, nothing's happening as far as games being played uh, injuries happening. It's, it's really just trades and situations changing. Um, And I think that that allows for good, good opportunities to take advantage of uh, some market inefficiencies. And I think this DJ Moore one is a really great example of that. Um, We'll we'll get into it from a dynasty perspective in a few minutes here, but first off, I wanted to uh, ask your opinion on it from an NFL perspective. Um, For those who don't know, uh, you're a big Colts fan. Y'all are drafted at number four. So obviously, this this quarterback movement impacts you as well um how did you feel about this trade kind of from from either the bears or panthers perspective do you think the value made sense as far as the the haul given up and just to remind everyone if you don't know uh panthers gave up uh their first this year first next year second this year second next year and dj moore uh for for the number one pick in the draft yeah i mean i think the haul made sense uh, I think people always like their eyes always bulge out of their heads whenever you see like a number one pick traded, especially if you're trading it to a team that's picking ninth, right? Like I thought the hall might have been smaller if it was like the Bears or the Texans moving up, or sorry, the Colts or the Texans moving up. But you're moving down to you know probably a different tier of player, and you're giving up ostensibly a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract, which is the most valuable asset in the NFL. 
So yeah, you're going to pay a ton for it. Um, I don't think that the Panthers overpaid per se. Like I don't, I don't really necessarily think that you can overpay if you're getting a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract. I, I think that ultimately it sucks because we try to think about things in a process driven way, but ultimately this just kind of comes down to the the good old results. Like you're paying to play and, and they're going to play and they're going to see if they like what they found. You know, I think that I've seen a lot of anti Panthers sentiment that is largely, I think based on things that they didn't do in the past that I agree they should have done. Right. I think that they should have not signed Teddy Bridgewater to try to be the 15th best team in the league. I think they should have just been really bad when it was rules first year and he had a long leash and he could have potentially gotten away with uh, a tank season. They chose not to do that. I would have not traded a second round pick for Sam Darnold, who's horrible. Uh, I would have taken Justin Fields the first time when they had an opportunity to do it without giving up any draft capital to do it. Or frankly, if they didn't like Justin Fields, I would have taken Mac Jones. Um, I would have done something there. Uh, but whatever, they didn't do those things. And so all they can do is decide what they want to do now. And like people have said, it maybe would have been cheaper to trade up for three. I don't know, maybe, right? If you're telling me it would have been way cheaper to trade up to three and get a quarterback there than it was to move up to one, I probably would have gone up to three. But I don't know. I have no idea if Arizona's shopping to pick. I don't know what they're shopping for. Uh, I don't think that they would have been able to get one of the top four quarterbacks at nine. Um, again, I can't say for sure, but it doesn't seem to be trending that way. Uh, at the very least, I trust them if they say they didn't think that they could have and that they couldn't have just waited till draft day to make this move up for number one. So I, I think all things considered, they made a reasonable choice to go after a franchise quarterback. Uh, we'll see what it's going to be. It, you know, I think the tough part is giving up DJ Moore, where you really would rather not have the worst wide receiver core in the league when you're trying to onboard a rookie quarterback. But yeah. if that was what it was going to take to get the deal done, reporting is they offered a 25-1, Bears wanted more instead. So I, I get it. And I get that aspect of it for both sides. I, I think the thing that I'm a little confused about here is, first of all, there's there's no clear, you know, superstar generational. I know people love to say quarterback in this draft. Right. And if there were, you wouldn't be able to get him, right? Like, you can only move up for guys like Jared Goff, guys like Trey Lance who have potential but have some flaws. You're not going to move up for Trevor Lawrence. That's just off the table. Um, what, what really concerns me from the Panthers' perspective about this trade is that, as you mentioned, they have the worst receiving core, really the worst skill weapons in the entire NFL by quite a distance. Um, they can improve that. You know, they have the 39th pick still in this draft. I would be surprised if they don't add a wide receiver there. But the rookie contract is what's really important, and that's when you want to be able to win. And I'm just not sure I see a great path for Carolina to do that. They had a very good defense last year. It really yeah. carried them to prevent them from getting a top five pick and not having to make this trade. But their offensive line was middle of the road. Their weapons are going to be terrible. I think they're going to be the worst offense in the league. And yeah, we can wait a year or two for whoever they draft. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute to really get good and for them to make the playoffs. But I'm worried that whoever they draft is going to have a really tough time for the first few years. And they might not be able to take advantage of this window. And giving up their first round pick next year is a concern there. Um, 
they could easily be a bottom five team in the league next year. Uh, it's happened in the past uh, when the Titans traded uh, for the Rams. They ended up getting the number five pick uh, in the Jared mm-hmm. Goff deal. They wasted that on Corey Davis, but that's a little bit irrelevant. So that that's a little bit of a warning for what, what can happen uh, if the Panthers don't find some way to help whoever they pick. Yeah, the Panthers are going to need to really punch above their weight on some sort of free agent or draft wide receiver edition, right? I mean, they just, the, the next... The next asset you can reasonably expect to draft a high level wide receiver is their 2025 first. So they're going to need to either acquire somebody via trade with what exactly, um, or they're going to need to hit big on a free agent signing, which is probably not going to happen this year because the best free agent wide receiver is Jacoby Myers, who's like a good NFL player, but he's certainly not a a game changing talent. or they're going to need to hit big on an early second. So, I mean, yeah, I think that 39th overall pick is huge. I just, I'm not sure who you're going to draft 39th overall in this class that really has the upside of being like a coverage dictating wide receiver. Like I think, I think their best case scenario probably is they trade for DeAndre Hopkins, I guess. Uh, if you want to like get a legitimate impact wide receiver right away, problem is he's probably going to be super washed by the back half of your quarterback's rookie contract. So I'm not sure like that he's even the ideal fit. Um, I don't know. It's a tough spot, uh, but we'll see. There's certainly, I imagine, going to be trying to allocate as many resources as possible to wide receiver. You did mention they have a good defense, so I don't think it's like there's holes everywhere. I think that there's holes at wide receiver, and they really need to hammer wide receiver, and hopefully the rest of everything can be serviceable, but we'll see. Yeah, and, and they do have the opportunity to get some get a good running back in this draft, get a good tight end in this draft. They can do that on day two or three. Um, I, I do think that there could be a good wide receiver that falls to them at number 39. Uh, I, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if JSN falls out of the round one or if he falls to pick 25 and they could use a third or something and move up, pair him with CJ Stroud, something like that. Uh, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, free agency isn't really the way to acquire wide receivers anymore. I mean, it never really has been, but nowadays no. you need to trade a first for a wide receiver the year before they hit free agency and give them that right. new contract. Right, don't and, let their good wide receivers go to market. No, like like T. Higgins is not going to market. He's either going to get traded or get extended. Right. So it's not like you can just, you know, put $30 million of salary cap towards that next season without giving up a first-round pick that they don't really have anymore. So it's going to be difficult for whoever ends up being that quarterback. Do, do you – I know most of the rumors say that C.J. Stroud is going to be that guy – uh you and i do do a little bit of betting and he's you know the betting favorite there i think minus 400 or so right now uh do do you think that's locked in and the right pick for carolina or do you think that uh young and richardson still have a chance there i mean i have no reason to doubt that it's the pick that they're going to make uh I, i certainly haven't talked to frank reich uh i mean i'm pretty familiar with frank from his time in indy and i imagine if you did talk to him you'd have quite a few things to say to him (laughs) I've always liked Frank. I, I'm I'm yeah. I'm not. I like Frank Reich. I don't like Ballard. Uh, I'm I'm not, I'm kind of. I don't know. I like Frank Reich. I he, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think he's a good coach. I'm excited for him in Carolina if he ever gets wide receivers. I'm happy that he's going to a place where he'll have a, a young quarterback for once instead of just a cavalcade of rotating veterans. But uh, yeah, I, I think. I, I think that he's always really 
had an offense that needs an accurate quarterback, right? Which is every offense. But in terms of so much of his offense is around timing. He wants to be able to run the RPO game. He wants to be working a short area of the field in uh, rapid succession. I think that CJ Stroud is the most natural quarterback for his offense, where I just think of when the Frank Reich offense is working at its best, it's working with that point card style distributor where he's really hitting guys in stride. They're able to create yards after the catch. They just, the only year that they really ever got to run that offense, the way it's supposed to look was the first year with luck. And then uh, in 2020 with Phillip rivers to an extent, but the, he didn't have any of the deep passing, but you at least got to see sort of the front of it. They had to change a lot of the offense with Wentz because he couldn't hit crossers over the middle. Um, you know, Matt Ryan just couldn't play anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you've sort of have to see it evolve. But I, I, I think that you don't require necessarily that much mobility. It's certainly a plus. They've used Wentz's mobility really effectively in Philadelphia, especially off the RPO game. But I think with Stroud, what he's going to be able to do better than any of the other options is being able to consistently hit the middle of the field with accurate ball placement, putting wide receivers in position, pick up yards after the catch. It's too bad that DJ Moore isn't there anymore. He would have been such a good fit with DJ Stroud. He would have but, been such a good um, fit. It, it really sucks to see him not there. And, you know, the, they would have really fit perfectly. I, I see DJ Moore's game, honestly, somewhat yeah. similarly to a guy like Garrett Wilson, who, you know, Stroud obviously excelled with at Ohio. So it it sucks that uh, he's going to have to throw the ball to kind of Terrace Marshall and no one else. I really loved the idea of DJ Moore in a Frank Reich offense. And then I loved the idea of him paired with CJ Stroud. And I got so excited for like 15 seconds. And yeah. then I was like, oh, he's in the trade. That <laughs> sucks. Yeah, it reminds me of the Russell Wilson. Yeah, it reminds me of the Russell Wilson trade. I, I was so pumped for Noah Fant when, uh, when Russell Wilson <laughs> right. was coming to Denver. And then he ended up going back. I, I think the same thing might actually happen to Elijah Moore on the uh, Aaron Rodgers trade. But We'll see about that. Yeah, I, I think Stroud is a uh, is a really good fit in Carolina. I, I don't like Bryce Young as a fit there at all. Like you said, you know, you need that point guard style. And while Bryce Young is the height of a point guard, he doesn't uh, – he's not able to see over the line. He gets a lot of stuff batted down. Um, I do like Bryce Young, and he's a very creative player, but he's not going to stay on schedule the same way that Stroud will. And I think that Yeah, Young, I don't like Young in a Reich offense, really. No. And I think in a in a team that doesn't have talent around him, I would be quite worried about Bryce Young that, first of all, he would get hit a lot. Uh, and obviously mm. for a guy his size, that's a lot of trouble. And second, he... He doesn't. He has the creativity with his legs, but he doesn't have the arm strength to really test uh, the field, the field either vertically or horizontally. I've I've been watching a lot of the tape, and C.J. Stroud's most impressive throws have often been, you know, the 15-yard out route to the far hash. Yeah. Bryce Young doesn't have that at all in his game, which which is fine. You don't need that, but if if you don't have a lot of good players around you and the defense can really lock in on the few things that you can do well, it's going to be really tough to perform well so i i think that young would probably struggle in carolina and it probably will be cj stroud i mean i i think frank reich has never had a quarterback shorter than six four um some of that situational but i i think that does kind of give a hint as to what type of player he values well and i think like what are bryce young's best abilities to me is is his improvisational skill and his ability under pressure to extend plays, his ability to see the field while he's running around, he's scrambling back there. I, you know, like I, I think it's, it's almost similar to another short quarterback in Russell Wilson when he's been at his best and when he's been at his worst. And when he's at his best, he's in a position where 
it's you know a lot of max protects it's deep dropbacks it's balls down the field time to survey the field find the guy really prizing his creativity and when he's at his worst it's when you know you was forced to sort of operate in a intermediate structural system and you think of like kyler murray too right like i think kyler murray when he's at his best he's outside the pocket he's creating when kyler murray's running that horizontal raid and he's just trying to hit guys is there it's just not really how to use him best so i i agree um i don't think we're going to see that i think bryce young is a really good fit uh in the bobby slowick system in houston so i think he's going to go where he's a much better fit for what they do which is going to be not a ton of deep outs it's going to be a lot of bootlegs it's going to be a lot of moving the pocket uh and and i think it should go stroud young yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And from from a Colts fan perspective, I, I don't think this changes a whole lot other than obviously the Colts aren't going to get the number four pick, although I the number one pick, yeah. although I did think the uh, the reports that uh, Carolina might be looking to move down now were pretty funny. That's that's just not really how things work in the NFL or, you know, maybe. They'll yeah, that's the like the worst person in your dynasty startup. Exactly. Like, it's like he just trades for a pick and then he's like, this pick's on the block. It's like, buddy, you just traded for it. Like fucking pick. <laughs> right. On, like either, either the person in front of you didn't do their job or you valued <laughs> right. it the most. So clearly in this case, right. Carolina valued it the most. So what are they going to do? Um, but uh, it, do, are you in on Anthony Richardson to the Colts? Yeah, super in on Anthony Richardson to the Colts. I mean, he's got a lot of problems as a prospect for sure. His college production is rancid. He's that's really struggles with accuracy. Uh but, you know, if, if I'm looking at how to build an elite team, like I want to take a swing, right? So I'm I'm not actually that upset about them just staying at four. I, I prefer drafting Richardson at four versus giving up, you know, probably not quite as much as Carolina would have had to, but something close to it to move up from four all the way to one just to secure a better prospect who's by no means a sure thing. I love the idea of being able to just stick pick, get Richardson, keep all of the rest of our picks and be able to try and build something around him. Colts defense is good and they're losing Bobby Okereke. Uh, but beyond that, they're going to bring pretty much everybody else back who is a, a major contributor. Uh, they're going to be picking at 39 as well in this draft. I think it's quite possible to have a very early pick in the 2024 draft. They have some pieces on the O-line. They really need a left tackle. My goodness. Um, but they do have some pieces that are coming together. They finally drafted the O-line in the last couple of drafts. I think they have some guys that might be able to develop. And then, of course, you have Taylor and you have Pittman. And, I mean, I don't think Alec Pierce said anything for fantasy, but he looks like an NFL player to me. Uh, so you just need, like, a third guy there to really round out that receiving core. So I, I think it's a good spot. And I think with Shane Steichen, you know, he's had a tremendous track record with young quarterbacks recently with Herbert and Hurts. And I think people are going to make, really bad comparisons between Anthony Richardson and Jalen Hurts if he ends up with the same coach. But at the same time, at least I know that he's not going to be a total donkey in terms of how he uses a mobile quarterback. Like we've seen him design a functional offense around a, a rushing quarterback before. So I don't think that means that Anthony Richardson is just a sure success, but it at least eliminates the risk to me that he's going to end up with some moron who's like trying to stick him into a system that he doesn't fit. He's going to be able to be used to his strengths. Uh, so I'm, I'm in on that. I, I would be disappointed if it winds up being Will Levis. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll have high hopes there too. It's it's quarterback. It's voodoo. Uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks that we think are good that aren't and quarterbacks we think are bad that are. So I'm not going to disregard uh, either of them. But I, I think Richardson at four looks pretty good right now. I guess the question is if somebody moves up to three, 
and then we wind up being fourth in the pecking order and that that's totally possible too yeah and that that's what it seems like honestly is going to happen from my perspective just because the Colts seem like such an obvious quarterback pick at four it seems mm-hmm. like the, the Cardinals will have so much leverage at three to move back um obviously there's you know two studs on the defensive side that the Cardinals might be looking at but if they know that whoever they trade with is going quarterback and then the Colts are going to go quarterback they can get their you know defensive player number one off the board at number five or if they move back to you know six or seven they'll still probably get a guy like Jalen Carter so they're in a really good position Arizona is and uh Indianapolis might be in a tough spot. I could even see them moving up one spot with Arizona if they really do mm-hmm. value Richardson over, over Levis or vice versa, just to really lock that in, you know, give up a future second, something like that. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting for sure. I'm I'm excited. This is like the first Colts draft in a while I've been really excited for. Usually we just trade our picks for uh, Carson Wentz or defensive tackle yeah. or whatever else. So. Don't get too excited. As a as a Pats fan, the first draft I was excited for was I think 2018 when uh, we were on the clock when Lamar Jackson got taken, but we traded him to Baltimore. So that was a pretty depressing oh, day man. for me. Uh, I, I hope it goes better for you this year. Um, <laughs> moving on to, uh, to talk more about the dynasty impacts of this trade. Uh, I think DJ Moore is the number one guy that we got to talk about. There's a lot of deals going around. I've, I've managed to sell basically all of my DJ Moore shares in the last few days. Um, and you know, I, I have a very specific process for that. I, I I think personally, the way that I view the situation is that, yeah, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield were terrible last year, but we knew that DJ Moore would be getting a better quarterback this season. You know, if he had the 32nd best quarterback last year, he was probably going to get a guy either like CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, or maybe Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers. Um, You look at it now and he gets Justin Fields, who is obviously a top, you know, seven dynasty quarterback. Uh, He's an amazing player, especially running the football. But as far as the wide receivers go, I view this as essentially a downgrade versus the expected value of where DJ Moore might have ended up this offseason. It's an upgrade over Sam Darnold, but it's a downgrade over basically any other option, including CJ Stroud, from a passing perspective. Because Justin Fields, he only went over 200 yards twice last season. I know his weapons were bad. I know his offensive line was bad. But he struggled a lot passing the football. And even if he does excel, even if he you know, does become a guy like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts only had 4,000 passing yards last season. So if DJ Moore gets, you know, 25% of that, that's still only 1,000 yards. So I, I don't see the upside in this from the DJ Moore side, but I'd be curious to uh, to pick your brain on that. Yeah, I think people have gone into a lot of, you know, arguments about the micro and the projection. People have talked, you know, a lot about fields and what they think he's going to be able to do. You know, to me, I'd even just zoom out a little bit more and like, what are we trying to do when we acquire a wide receiver, right? Um, You know, there's a lot of them. And it's one thing when we're talking about it in a redraft or a best ball context and everybody's drafting a lot of wide receivers early and, and, you know, you reach a point where, oh my God, I can't start any of these guys, right? The wide receiver scarcity just does never apply in Dynasty quite to the same extent because you're going to be able to buy cheap old dudes who produce quite similarly to most of the guys that you're drafting around five and six and seven at any given time. And you can do that in the middle of the season if you need to, right? There's always going to be Keenan Allen's and Tyler Lockett's and those types of guys that you can attain for not really that high of an opportunity cost. So whenever you're investing in somebody who isn't producing at an elite level, 
right? And you're paying a higher opportunity cost for that guy who's pretty replaceable in terms of his median production. What you're really trying to do is buy access to a ceiling more than anything, right? Like the longevity just is not that important. If you buy a 24 year old wide receiver and he produces 14 points per game for the next six years, like good for you. But that buying that longevity is really just not worth all that much because the production isn't worth all that much in any given year. So you're really trying to buy access to a potential elite ceiling. And that's always been the idea with DJ Moore, right? It's like you're, you're buying him. He's probably not going to produce that much, which sucks. You're taking a little water because you could easily get the same amount of production out of that roster spot for a lot less. But the theory is he's so talented that eventually if he ever gets a good situation, you might be able to get an elite asset that you didn't pay an elite price for. And, you know, I don't really know what to make of Justin Fields, to be honest. I, I think he was a great prospect. He's been really bad his first two years. People have provided a lot of excuses for that. I think that the excuses are reasonable. I just think that, you know, I don't think that we can just wipe out those first two years either, right? It's not like he was like, he was pretty average and he added all the excuses. It was like he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL and maybe he's not that, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a good quarterback, right? I think the more likely scenario is he's probably better than he's shown, but he's still probably somewhere between below average to average as a passer. And if you're the Bears, you look at it and say, well, if he can just be average as a passer, he brings so much as a rusher that he can be a really, really positive impact player as a quarterback. But that doesn't help DJ Moore in fantasy. I mean, I would look at Jalen Hurts, who was on a team that was a positive pass rate over expectation team last year. They were in the top half of the league in pass rate over expectation. And they had a quarterback who was phenomenally efficient last year as a passer. And A.J. Brown is a better player than D.J. Moore, demonstrably better player than D.J. Moore. And he had 17.7 points per game last year, which is really, really good. But that's not even super game-changingly elite, right? Devonta Smith is probably a comparable player from a skill-level perspective to D.J. Moore. I mean, you can make the argument about A.J. Brown being there. Devonta Smith had a 26% target share last year. That's on par with the higher end of what D.J. Moore has done for most of his career. He was a guy who was really just a wide receiver too last year. Helpful player, not a game-changing player. For DJ Moore to be providing the elite ceiling that makes me interested in buying him at his cost right now, we have to be considering a scenario in which Fields is not just better than he's shown, but actually borderline elite. And the Bears need to pass a lot. And not just pass a little above expectation, but like way over expectation because you're talking about a quarterback in fields who scrambles all the time and who eats sacks for breakfast. So 25 to 30% of his dropbacks in a given game are going to be sacks and scrambles. And that's coming directly out of DJ Moore's routes on called pass plays, right? That's not even just called run plays. You're one in every four routes that DJ Moore runs is going to be a sack or a scramble. Uh, and so that's really, really detrimental when you're trying to build out a wide receiver projection. Um, and, and so for me, I'm not going to say like Moore is going to be bad or he's going to be better. Or he's going to be worse. It's just, I think his chances of getting to that elite ceiling are really low compared to other comparable guys who are younger and who aren't playing with a run first quarterback in what was a historically run first offense. It doesn't require all these assumptions just to get back to, to normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about opportunity costs, like you said. Like, even if you give DJ Moore Devontae Smith's season from last year, where he averaged 15 points a game, that's only a point and a half more than the wide receiver 25. 
Like it just doesn't make that much of an impact. And the wide receiver 25, it's a guy that you can get really cheap, like Jacoby Myers, who averaged 13 points right. a game last season. So you can, or even Zay Jones did, like you're talking about, you can get these guys to fill in, give you moderate value. Uh, d- just to add on, I not only are you looking for that elite level production at wide receiver, really that 18 plus points a game, that's going to make a big difference. You're also looking for the potential for value to increase. And I don't see that for DJ Moore at all. Hmm. If DJ Moore has Devonte Smith season from last year, and he's the wide receiver 13 or so his dynasty value is not going to go up because he's going to be a 26 year old coming off of a, you know, high end wide receiver two season. So it's going to be really hard to reason taking him, over guys going in his range, you're talking about Traylon Burks, Christian Watson, Jamison Williams, yeah. if you want the people who have that value upside to be a top three round startup pick and match, you know, the Alaves of the world. Or you're talking about guys like Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. You know, you could probably get one of those guys straight up for DJ Moore right now. Maybe you throw in a kind of useless flyer type and you're locking into 18 plus points uh, for next season, maybe for another year or two after that as well. While DJ Moore doesn't have the production or the value upside. So I think he's a massive sell right now. Um, it's kind of hard to know his value because this is so recent, but I would expect him to settle in around wide receiver 16. Uh, like I mentioned, that's basically the Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, uh, Christian Watson range. And I'd be selling him quickly for any of those players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I already sold him for Christian Watson in one league that I'm in. Uh, that's that's absolutely a deal that I'd like to do. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, I talk about it, actually, I talked about it in, in the post that I just released today on my Substack, but I call it the rental window for wide receivers, uh, which is essentially the period of time prior to the AJ packs, where in theory, if a wide receiver produces at or near their projection, you can more or less sell them the next offseason without any loss in value, right? And DJ Moore is going to be 26 this season. He'll be 27 the season after. You know, really what you want to be doing with these younger wide receivers is if you can potentially get one that you have reason to think has a chance to break out into that elite level, you know, take on the elite production and then be able to resell them before the expiration of the rental window. That's when you're being able to, A, soak a lot of points and be able to generate that profit for your team. With DJ Moore, and we saw this with Terry McLaurin just kind of, prior some of these guys that never get the good quarterback right that are good players but they just never get the situation at a certain point you kind of just got to get out a year early because you're looking at it and you're saying well now even if i do ever get the season i'm never going to get the value bump that's associated with it right and that's fine you still get a really productive ceiling that you didn't pay necessarily for but once you're getting closer and closer to that aj packs we're out of the rental window and and i think that that makes it harder to justify betting on situational change, right? It's one thing for me to bet on a 21-year-old Drake London and say, well, I'm just going to, I know this guy's good and I'm just going to bet on him. And then I'm just not going to bother thinking about trading him until things resolve positively for him. Because at some point over the next five years, theoretically, you should be in normal volume offense with a decent quarterback, et cetera. And that's where I was with DJ Moore like four years ago, but it didn't happen. So, uh, you know, at this point in time, it's like, what is your upside, right? Your upside is you're going to get a season of production, which is great if it hits, but you're not able to actually realize those gains from a value perspective, which makes the bet so much less enticing. Yeah. And uh, to, to give some numbers to what you're saying of, of the top uh, 17 wide receivers who are going in the top 60 picks of the draft, 
uh, only two of them are ages 25, 26, or 27, uh, and that is DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. So like you're saying, you really either need to have the history that Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup have, or you need to have the upside that Drake London and you know Jalen Waddle and uh, uh, Chris Olave have. Otherwise, you're not going to get that value boost, and I don't think D.J. Moore is going to give you a you know, 16, 17-point-a-game season. Mm-hmm. So at this point... I think he's a sell with the rookie draft coming up. What pick would you uh, move? What is the lowest pick you would uh, need to require back for DJ Moore in a one for one? Or how would you go about approaching trading him for draft picks? Yeah. If I was trading for draft picks, I would want to move him for um, pro- probably it depends on the person. If I could somehow get like the one six for him and just throw in yeah. something else on top, that would be a dream. But assuming I couldn't do that, um, I'd be looking at future picks, right? I'd be looking at either a 24-1 from like a, you know, you're probably never going to get a horrible team's 24-1, but you might be able to get a 24-1 from a team that's kind of fragile um, or, you know, a 25-1 from a team that looks really poor on value. Maybe you even get something else on top. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a, a, another thing I talked about in the Substack, but I, I talked about, uh, it's called the base value thesis, which is essentially that as a pick becomes more and more known what it is going to be it becomes a less and less efficient investment because um, I define a base pick as a pick that's equally likely to fall at any of the 12 slots. And that's a different thing than a middle or an average pick, right? Your average middle pick is the one, six, one, seven. Um, so a base picks more valuable than a mid pick because the, the difference between picking first and sixth is way better than the difference between picking seventh and 12th is bad. Right? So Anytime that you can acquire picks that are far out in advance, that's one of the most high upside, low risk investments you can make. Because if it if the if you acquire it under the assumption it's a base pick and it becomes a late pick, whatever. If you acquire it under the assumption it's a base pick, it becomes an early pick. That's just a massive win. And as the pick sort of comes year to year to year, it's going to become a less efficient investment because either it'll become clear that it's not going to be early. Or it is going to be early, but now you're going to have to actually pay for it as early because now you're going to personally be like, this is a really early pick, whereas you didn't necessarily know that a couple of years ago. So uh, anytime we're talking about trading guys for picks, especially this time of the year, where we're so close to the rookie draft. Um, I'm really not looking to trade for 2023 rookie picks all that much right now. I'm really trying to target uh, 2024 and especially even 2025 rookie picks right now, just getting those into the chamber and just letting them passively accrue value on my team over time. Uh, and, and I think, you know, a guy like a DJ Moore is like an ideal type of player to trade for those 2025 first. And maybe you get a little bit extra because like we said, he's not making that much of an impact on your team. If you sell DJ Moore for a 25 first and a third, and then you're able to sell that third for, you know, whoever like the Zay Jones is next year in week four, you're really not missing all that much. You're probably getting pretty comparable production and you're just banking a first to help backfill value onto your team. So that's probably where I'm looking most is, is deep into the future and adding a pick on top. It's kind of free rolling that elite uh, investment. Yeah. And I, I love that. I, I talk a lot with, uh, with dynasty dad on the smash except pod about insulating value. And that that's basically what you're talking about where you can move off. I'm sure right now you could move off DJ Moore and get, let's say, uh, you know, 
Jacoby Myers and a 25 first. You could probably do even better than that. And Jacoby Myers is going to finish within two points, maybe a point and a half DJ Moore next year. And that 25 first, like you said, you have to look at the essentially the expected average value, not the median value, where the median value is the 106, 107, but the 101 alone, that distance is worth so much more, even two years in the future. And it's not like you have to oh, but if I take a guy in 2025, he's not going to produce for me for 2026. I don't really care about four years from now. It's not that. It's that halfway through next season, that 2025 first is only a year away. That team might be terrible. You might already know that it's going to be a top right. three pick. And then you can go and sell that for Chris Olave. And then you just upgraded from DJ Moore to Chris Olave essentially for free. Yeah, my best dynasty team, um, I've at some point in time held what ended up being the first overall pick, like almost every year that the league's been in existence, um, because I've just been continually targeting managers that I thought were making bad decisions and short-sighted decisions and just targeting whatever their latest pick is and just letting it sit there. And then I, I don't, I think I've only used the pick once, like otherwise I've just continually traded it um, or traded for it. You know, like I was able to move this time I had a 24 first of a guy whose roster is just deplorable. And like, even though we're a full year away, I was able to go to another guy who just came in, took over a different orphan who's rebuilding and be like, Hey, yeah, I'm looking to put together a package for B. John Robinson. Have you seen the roster of this 24 first? Like this is probably a one and two, one and three shot of Caleb Williams. And ultimately that becomes the centerpiece of the deal. Um, Another example, I I acquired a 2023 first for Denzel Mims, like two and a half years ago. Uh, and, And it just sat there. And, you know, then all of a sudden it's Bijan Robinson and, you know, we're moving him out to get an elite quarterback and, you know, you're able to just get, get lucky that way. And I think that's the, that's the thing. You're just not going to miss these guys that much. I mean, what I would encourage people to think back is like, what injuries last year massively hurt your ability to construct a roster, right? Like if you had Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts towards the end of the season, you probably really felt that on your team, but like when you lost Mike Williams for six weeks, it's like that debilitate your season, right? Frankly, if the answer to that is yes, then you might have other issues on your team. Yeah, but like you, you, you weren't going to win anyways if the answer was yes. Right. So it's like if you move DJ Moore to like just something else in the future, like you probably won't even notice it. I mean, sure, if you do this three, four, five times, but like just in a, in, a, in isolation, you do this a couple times with a wide receiver, it's really never going to have that much of an effect on you. And by the time that you start to notice it, you know, with other pieces atrophying, all of a sudden you can move that pick for, for hopefully a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did a similar thing like you did with Mims. I, I did it with Terry McLaurin, got at 24 first. It's pretty clear that first is going to be top three now. And I traded that for AJ Brown in an early second. So you can nice. really manufacture these trades just by, especially the wide receivers, you know, wide receiver 18 to 28. I'm talking about the Michael Pittmans, Chris Godwin, Brandon Ayukes, all these guys you should be looking to move for people who can actually make a big difference in one of your seasons. Um, moving off of DJ Moore now, uh, I do want to talk about Justin Fields. Um, obviously, his situation is improved quite a bit. Uh, with that signing, I, I believe the Bears also added an offensive lineman today. Clearly, they're trying to gear up for year three, which is basically the first year that most rookie quarterbacks end up competing. Um, obviously, there's a few exceptions like Trevor Lawrence last year, but year three of a five-year contract is really when you want to first make that playoff run. 
Uh, do you think Justin Fields has it in him? And are you moving him at all in Dynasty, given the team's, you know, clear commitment to him as the franchise guy trading the first pick and acquiring a guy like DJ Moore, who, while he might not be a great Dynasty bet right now, he is a very good, you know, top 25 receiver in the NFL. I mean, I think it's a clear commitment to him in 2023. I'm not so sure how clear of a commitment it is beyond that. I, I mean, he's set up, I think, with a reasonable chance to succeed, which is great for him. And the Bears, you know, they're going to have Carolina's pick, which you'd think would be top half. And then they'll have their own pick, which if Justin Fields is bad, will probably be early. So, you know, they can do some damage with that. I don't think you're – I keep seeing people talk about, oh, like, then they'll be in the mix for Caleb Williams. Like, well – no one's trading Caleb Williams. So either you, no. either you have the one, either you have the first overall pick, or you don't have Caleb Williams. It's really that simple. Uh, nobody's going to be, you know, in the spot where it's like, oh, um, I'll be able to move two firsts and something. No, get out of here. But either way, they'll have a chance to do some damage. Drake May's in that class. Quinn Ewers in that class. Bo Nix maybe can can do something. We'll see. Uh, so I'm still have issues like just the idea that Justin Fields is a round one startup pick who is yet to demonstrate he's a good NFL quarterback is a problem for me. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a problem for other people. It's fine. I, I think that the most likely outcome is that Justin Fields does become a good NFL quarterback, but for like anybody else in his range, I don't have to say that that's like the most likely outcome. I can just say that's what he is or that's what he's shown to be. Right. I mean, the greatest extent of concern we have about any of these other quarterbacks is like, will Kyler Murray get back to more or less what he was after he's done being injured? Will Deshaun Watson get back to more or less what he's done in the past or, or will it be what he showed most recently? I would still rather bet on those guys personally in a vacuum that have a higher baseline level of play than fields where we're hoping he's able to get up to that. So I think Fields is still a sell of the top 10 quarterbacks. He's my biggest sell. My only thing is that I'm only trading him in and around that tier. It's just not that easy to acquire elite quarterbacks in Superflex Dynasty, and that's where so much of the value of a replacement is. So uh, if I can move Justin Fields and get Kyler plus, Deshaun plus, I'm interested in that. If I can move Fields pretty laterally into Lamar or Herbert or Lawrence and not pay all that much for it, I'm totally down to do that. And if I could have the privilege of turning Justin Fields into Mahomes or Josh Allen and it not costing my entire roster. I'm certainly down to do that. But, you know, I, I have them in a few spots. I think I have them in two leagues that I'm in with you, actually. And, and yeah. those trades just haven't been uh, possible yet. And so I'll probably wind up keeping Justin Fields until and unless those trades do become possible. Uh, just because, yeah, I just, I think you want to stay in that top 10. He's not someone I'm super exposed to. And I don't mind having some of him in my portfolio. His upside is like 101 overall almost. So, Yeah. And I, I did an analysis on the quarterbacks just because as you mentioned with Kyler and Deshaun, there's so much recency bias and narratives going into uh, how these guys are valued in dynasty. You look at a guy like Kyler and Justin Herbert, those two players have averaged the exact number, exact same number of points over the last four seasons. Same with Dak, same with Joe Burrow. Josh Allen's only a point above that. The reason that Justin Fields is such a difficult player is that in the second half of last season, he averaged 28 points a game, which is more than Mahomes, more yeah. than Lamar. He was just unbelievable. So that's what makes it so difficult. I look at a guy like him and Lawrence, right? Lawrence had a great year last year. He averaged 20 points a game last season. Obviously, it's only his second season. If we project the Joe Burrow type upside, Joe Burrow averaged 24 points a game in 2021 and 2022. 
that is still quite a bit below where Justin Fields can be. Now, obviously, that's a small sample. I don't expect him to outperform Mahomes, but it is tough to give up on that upside. It's the same reason why I would take a guy like Lamar Jackson over Trevor Lawrence just because you know he has that upside to get an extra three, four points a game with his legs compared to a guy like Lawrence. So it's, it's tough. Like I have fields as a sell, but I am really only selling him for that upgrade that you were referring to. So if I can get Mm -hmm. Lamar straight up, if I can get Allen or Mahomes, if I can get Kyler or Watson, what I'm not doing is I'm not selling Justin Fields for the, you know, Kirk Cousins, DJ Moore and the 203, right? Like that, the top 10 quarterback, it's so hard to get after you move on after these top really 12, maybe 13 guys, you're going into the tour range, which is, you know, 20 points a game or the Kirk Cousins range, which is 18 points a game. And that's what you really want to avoid at quarterback. So if I have fields, I'm only moving him among those top guys. And I'm really not looking to acquire him unless I can trade Lawrence for a guy like fields plus a little bit. Uh, but I don't see that happening. Yeah. I'm only acquiring him from outside of that range, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like I've, yeah. um, you know, I, all my quarterbacks, like there's the guys that I think are the best buys, you know, at price, which I think is like, Mahomes is just a buy at any price, so he'll always have him ranked as a buy. Allen's pretty much the same thing. And then I think Lamar and Kyler and Watson are really attractive buys at their ADP. But, you know, I don't necessarily – do I think the rest of the guys are buys? We think Herbert, Lawrence, and Fields are buys. I don't know if they're buys, but I'd buy any of them in the sense of if I don't have two elite quarterbacks, I'm trying to shop for one, I'll just buy whichever one of them I can get, and then hopefully I'll be able to figure it out later. And if I can't, then whatever. I don't mind having some – uh, dispersed exposure amongst that group. So that's that's really where where I'm at with it is like I'm only targeting fields if he's the elite quarterback option that I can get and then I can potentially pivot off him. But I'm also only selling him within that tier. So I think we're in agreement on, on him. Yeah, and, and to give an example of that, I, I did actually acquire Patrick Mahomes um, in a DJ Moore trade uh, yesterday oh where I ended goodness. up trading, which was awesome. Straight up? It was... It was one of those four quarters for a dollar. Uh, it was Geno oh, Smith, God. DJ Moore, 107, and a 24 first for Patrick Mahomes. The sticker shock people were thought I gave up way too much, but, you know, it's Patrick Mahomes. I I, I felt very, yeah. very confident in that. No, trade. that's fine. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's more than – I'd pay that any day of the week for Patty Mahomes. Yeah, and, and – uh, rewinding a little bit one thing that you mentioned on dj Moore that i thought was interesting was that if you could acquire the 106 by adding a little bit that's a move you would look to make um i've talked about this uh in the past but it really seems like the 106 line is the important cutoff line in the draft right now uh you have the top three quarterbacks Bijan, gibbs and yeah. jsn Something might change at the draft, but I find it highly unlikely that the 107 will have anywhere close to the value of the 106. And for people who have been paying that, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it could. I, I think what we need is one of Charbonnet, Quinn Johnson, or Addison to just get like a nut landing spot. Like if it's yeah. like, let's say the Bengals cut Joe Mixon and, and Charbonnet goes there in round two, something like that. Or like Quinton Johnson or Addison goes like the Bills or the Chiefs then we could see that being more of a tier. But yeah, I think right now at least it's the 106 and then a a big drop. 
Yeah, so if you're thinking about moving DJ Moore for 107 or 108, let's say, which is a move that on its face I wouldn't disagree with, right? Like whoever gets yeah. the best spot out of QJ or Addison or Charbonnet, I'm going to take that guy over DJ Moore. But what I would recommend is going and trying to get the 105 or 106 because that owner might not realize that gap. So yesterday I traded DJ Moore and Michael Gallup and Isaiah Pacheco for the 105. I added on quite a bit, yeah. right? Pacheco's an early second, Gallup's, you know, an early third right now, but you're not going to be able to use Pacheco to move up from 108 to 105 when the draft season comes around, because you'll be looking at Gibbs, you'll be looking at Anthony Richardson. So those are the type of trades that you want to make now in March. And then in May, you'll look back and be like, wow, I could just reverse that trade and probably get a lot extra on top of that if you really needed to. For sure. And I hope uh, your listeners don't need to hear this, but you know, everybody's going to have their own individual tiers and that's fine. And your top six don't have to be everybody's top six. But if we were to hold rookie drafts today, and like we said, it might change. If we were to hold rookie drafts today, that's where the tier cutoff is. And if you're saying, oh, I don't think it should be in that tier. I don't think Anthony Richardson should be in that tier. I don't think JSN, whatever you think, like that's how it's going to be. So end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you're picking a 106. You might get your fourth ranked player. You might get your second ranked player uh, picking at the 106. And even if you do get your sixth ranked player that you don't think is in that tier, you can probably trade that guy when you're on the clock or sometime in the summer or whatever. Maybe you're wrong and the market's right. So I, I just wouldn't. Um, I think everybody's going to have their own tiers, but I think it's important to acknowledge, especially at this time of the year, where we think those tiers are going to be for the market at large. And then ultimately, right, that's when you want to decide once you're into the draft. How can you get, how can you work within those market tiers to get within your tiers? But at this point in time, I would really just be trying to focus on maximizing the market value of those picks. And and right now the 106 is a really efficient one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, given that this is the first podcast episode, I don't know if I've gone into much detail on this, but I expect the 106 to be a top 40 startup pick, if not higher, by the time we reach draft season. Well, I expect the 108 to probably be somewhere in the fifth round. So you're gaining that two rounds of value when you're looking at startup value. And again, it doesn't matter what your preference is. Like you said, I have people ask me, should I take JSN second in a super flex league? Absolutely not. I have Josh Downs right now, eight on my board, and I have Dalton Kincaid, number nine, on my board. I will not be taking those guys at number eight and number nine because that is just a waste of value, right? So you do have to always try to maximize value. It's easier for us because we're in so many leagues. So then if I get sniped on Kincaid at 15 and I was going to take him 16, it doesn't hurt quite as much because I have other opportunities. But you have to be a little bit emotionless the way that you – Uh, structure this because if you get a more valuable player there will always be an opportunity to trade for someone that you actually want Mm -hmm. so talking about guys that we may or may not actually want i think we should hit briefly (laughs) on uh the other bears guys uh that uh get some movement potentially from this deal uh darnell mooney chase claypool cole Komet. Do you care at all about these guys? Are you moving them down? Does it not really matter? Oh, what, do you, what is your thought? I mean, I've I've never been a Mooney guy. I'm certainly not a Mooney guy now. Um, I've really, really never been a Komet guy. I, I've yeah. never understood for the life of me the fascination with this guy. He's so mediocre. He spent his entire career running a million routes with no target competition and not earning any targets. And he just continues to have like legitimate value. I don't understand it. It's bizarre uh now he's probably somewhere between the second through fourth best target earner on his team he is going to be 
Bengals Hayden Hurst on the opposite of the Bengals offense. So yeah. enjoy that. Uh, Cole Komet truthers, just a weird group of people, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm selling Cole Komet for anything I can get. You can still get a mid second. Why do people right like now? him? People have liked him for a while. I don't understand the appeal of this guy whatsoever. He doesn't earn targets. He doesn't extend the play. He's not efficient. He doesn't draw volume. He plays in a terrible offense. Like, what is the appeal? I have absolutely no idea. I I have never never owned him for more than a month or so. But I look at his value. <laughs> You can get a mid-second for him, which you can go get in Mayer and Cade or, you know, uh, Musgrave or one of those guys. You can flip him for Greg Dulcich or Darren Waller, who one has massive potential, one has already shown he can put up a 17-point-per-game season. I don't get the Cole Komet love at all. Go get, you know, a Conquo, a guy who might actually start for you. Yeah, we'd rather have Conquo than Cole Komet. Yeah, me too. Yeah, um... Claypool was the only guy that I was like before this trade where I, I was holding just a slight candle on because he was so freaking cheap. And yeah. he has actually showed like some pretty solid target earning in the past. And he's just so hated on because of the dumb trade and, and how much they paid for him. And he's he's like an annoying personality to people. So I was kind of, I, I thought he was going to be like a buy low guy for me. Uh, but probably not anymore. I mean, I don't mind rostering him because I think like, He's, he's like priced as borderline not an NFL player right now. And I, I do think he's probably an NFL player, but uh, you know, even, even if now you have to hit a parlay, like before I could have at least said, look, if Claypool is any good, he's going to kill this ADP. Whereas now that's not really the case. Cause he's, he's the second best wide receiver on the team at best. He, he might be third. He might even be fourth on the target tree. So uh, not, not, uh, not ideal for Mapletron. I don't think I need any bear except for fields. Um, yeah, Khalil Herbert's interesting. I still roster a decent chunk of Khalil Herbert. Uh, I used to roster just a shit ton. I probably sold about half of it just like as like a, I'll give you this kind of sexy name to help complete right. this trade over time. But I'm still rooting for him. I think he's a really good player. I hope they let him lead the backfield. Uh, I've just never been as like all out on him as like a Tony Pollard because he's such a total zero in the passing game that like I think the best case for him is if he hits, he's like a 14 point per game run only guy. But uh, right. I do think there's a decent shot that if they, I think the best case here for Herbert is like if they draft somebody in round three um, or round four, as and that's the only competition that they add, and you know the market views them as like interchangeably likely to start. Like I, I would just bet on Herbert at that point. I really believe in him as a rushing talent. I, I would bet on him against um, most rookies in this class. Yeah, and 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 that's another. Uh good example of why expectations matter. We know the bears are going to add someone. So if they add someone in the fourth round rather than the second round, or if they add someone like Alexander Madison, who I, and probably you think Khalil Herbert could beat out, that should be viewed as a positive because it means that they're less, less likely to draft someone in the second round. Um, I agree with you on Herbert. I don't see the value upside because like you said, he doesn't have the receiving work. I I could see him in a Damian Harris 2020 type role where he can be a high end running back to putting up 16 touchdowns. I think he averaged like 5.7 yards a carry last year. Fields is really going to help the running back either way. Um, One comment I do have on Claypool because I, I have been intrigued by his talent in the past as well. Um, is that he is a free agent after next season. And I know they gave up the 32nd pick for him. I know they have sunk cost, but they're going to have to, they're already paying DJ Moore and DJ Moore has already said or indicated through his agents that he's going to want to restructure that contract. Um, Maybe they prioritize Darnell Mooney over him. I, 
there's a chance that Claypool goes somewhere on his second contract. Like you said, he's so cheap right now. He's basically being priced as a wide receiver, you know, five or six. I'm going to reference my favorite guy, Nico Collins. You know, a guy like Chase Claypool, you might want to take over Nico Collins just because he has shown that upside in the past. If you're sitting there in the 15th, 16th round of startup. But my issue is I never take wide receivers like that because their upside is right. so tiny. Like I'm going to take backup running backs there. I'm going to take athletic tight ends like a Conquo. I'm going to take backup quarterbacks, players who really do have some upside. Like Chase Claypool's never going to be a top seven round startup pick. He's never going to put up 15 points a game. So personally, I would use Claypool and really Mooney at this point and Komet as one of those guys to uh, grease the wheels in a much bigger trade to act like, um, uh, uh dynasty dad again says to disguise the shit basically just keep on piling stuff on to say oh look put this in a calculator it's another right. eight points on your side like stuff like that i'm I'm really not interested in the bears otherwise yeah claypool like i actually i took him in one startup this year because i think i only roster i like got to round 17 i was like i have four wide receivers on my roster i guess i'll draft chase claypool yeah, <laughs> um yeah make it a fifth uh but no i i agree with you like in startups it's usually like especially this time of the off season i also want to be betting on quarterbacks like i want to just be yeah. like taking like baker mayfield andy dalton drew Locke, like whatever let's see who starts four games this year right um so I'm, I'm doing so many quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends that, yeah, it's not a lot of wide receivers in that range. But I, in, in trades, I've been trying to, like, throw Claypool in as, you know, I don't know, is somebody going to blow up this five-piece trade over Chase Claypool? Probably not. Like, why don't I just add him in there? And if the person's like, no, then he says, no, I don't care. But uh, that's kind of been it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, not not a great offense for for that. No, no. And it's going to be tough for any of those guys to really excel other than Justin Fields. I would, I would pretty much say all the bears are a sell with the exception of Khalil Herbert. My hope is they would draft a guy who either would be competition for him, like you said, or a guy like Deuce Vaughn, who just has such a different skill set, such a different role. People will act like, oh, now Herbert's not going to catch 40 passes. He wasn't going to anyways, right? So uh, if he just locks in that first two down role in a hopefully improved offense with a Russian quarterback, he can be valuable as a flex guy. Um, But otherwise, yeah, the Bears Bears aren't super interesting. Um, So I think that mostly sums it up for as far as analyzing this trade. But one thing I wanted to talk to you about was you, uh, you recently uh, started publishing the Substack. Um, it's, it's awesome material. I, I personally love talking to you about dynasty just cause I love the way that your mind works, how you can, you know, analyze it from a mathematical perspective and also a psychological perspective. A lot of what you do is you play the person, you don't, you know, play the psychological aspect of it, not even mm-hmm. what you see. Um, so do you want to go into a little bit about, you know, how you think about finest, uh, sorry, fantasy and dynasty together. And then, you know, tell us a little bit about your Substack. Sure. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the post that I did today. So I've been kind of, if anybody subs, it's uh, Substack's called thinking about thinking and it's Jacob Sanderson at substack.com. But if you follow me on Twitter or you go to my Twitter, it, it's all just pinned at the top there. Um, I've been sort of trying to alternate over this off season between like theory heavy pieces and then more tangible pieces. So I wrote one sort of intro to my market principles series. Then I wrote a piece by Anthony Richardson and then I'm back to the market stuff this, uh, this week. So I wrote about a uh, concept of three currencies in dynasty and Brit- And I've tried to think about things in this way of being picks, 
uh, EYR value and productive value. What I mean by that, EYR value is expected years remaining value. So essentially the production that you're projected to have in years that aren't this one, right? And then the productive value is the production that you're projected to have in this year. And so, you know, every player is going to have some proportion of each of those first two. Of course, picks are their own separate entity. And what I tried to make a case for was, you know, I posted a poll on Twitter today um, that's in that post of what asset is the most risky in Dynasty, young players, veterans, or picks? And it was almost split like 33, 33, 33 at one point. I, I think somehow picks has taken the lead, which is astonishing to me. Um, but anyhow, right, talked about these three assets and what I talked about in my first column in the Substack, and I think it's the driving principle behind a lot of what I try to do is in a game of probability, I think the best strategies are the ones which maximize the benefit of good luck and minimize the detriment of bad luck, right? There's always going to be variance. There's always going to be things that you can't control. You're going to get player takes wrong. You're going to get player takes right. You're going to get bad injuries. Your opponents are going to get bad injuries. And, and, but, and I always say this for draft picks, your draft pick is not going to get arrested for drunk driving. He's not going to get injured. Right. Like, this is why I love draft picks. They have just, the value is just locked in no matter what. Right. So I sort of broke it down in these categories, like these assets, you know, what do they do? Are they, are they good at maximizing the benefit of the good luck? Are they good at mitigating uh, the detriment of bad luck? Draft picks are the ones that are both, right? And And it's really... Because the two theories I talked about, one was what I talked about being the base value thesis, which is that a pick, the, the furthest out a pick is at its base value is always when it has the most aggregate upside, because you're getting that disproportional positive effect if it conveys earlier than expected, then whatever negative effect it would be if it conveys later than expected. And the other element is what I always call the whole tax, which is essentially, if you think about a mortgage, right, you buy a house, you pay a mortgage. If you pay down your entire mortgage, which is not something that anybody does living in my city of Vancouver, we just die in debt. But theoretically, uh, if you pay down a mortgage, <laughs> then you sell the house, you keep the entire profit, right? It's your house. You, you keep it all. If you pay like half your mortgage and then you sell it to somebody else, you pocket some of it and the rest of it ends up going to the bank. And if you pay none of your mortgage and you just transfer it, then it's effectively you just had an apartment, right? right. Uh, so that's you know how I think about it in terms of these draft picks where each period of time and especially after each successive rookie class and then after each successive season a base draft pick is going to just get slightly more and more and more valuable as it gets closer and closer to conveying as there's less events between when it conveys and what the time is now and essentially what you're doing throughout that is you are paying the hold tax you are sitting on an asset that can't produce any points for you and in exchange for paying that hold tax you get rewarded with an asset that is guaranteed to accrue in value. That's the trade-off. That's the consideration. And I think the the key is, okay, this is really appealing. I get this asset that's guaranteed to gain value over time. And I get this asset that is has disproportionately high upside because it might convey way earlier than it's ever valued at. Why don't I just roster all draft picks? Well, obviously you don't want to roster exclusively draft picks, then you can never win anything. But how can I build a team that has a decent chunk of draft picks and still contends? And unfortunately, what the answer to that is, is usually, unless you just have a ludicrously high value team, is that you probably can't roster a lot of young players and a lot of draft picks on the same team and also compete. And my issue with young players is that they are more fragile. We are baking in a lot of projected value across future years that may or may not exist, right? Some players, of course, will do things that make us think better about them in future years than we do now. 
More of them don't. 36% of players uh, over the last few years, running backs, wide receivers, top 180p that aren't rookies, uh, rise in ADP, right? Two thirds of them go down in ADP. Yep. And, and that's just between years two and year four. That's not dusty old veterans. That's actual young players between year two to year four, two out of every three are going down in ADP because it's way easier to fall short of a projection than it is to hit a projection. And so what I wind up doing is trying to focus on, you know, a lot of, I value veteran production because first of all, veteran production is usually the cheapest form of elite production, right? It's a lot cheaper to buy Christian McCaffrey than it is Jamar Chase. And then the other thing is you're, you're, when you do buy some of these more mid veterans, you're not leaving a lot of meat on the bone because you're basically paying whatever you would pay for them to produce at a wide receiver two or running back two level for the given year. And anything else you get on that is mostly bonus. And whatever value you paid into that is ultimately going to be made up by whatever picks are accruing in the future year. And then you can reassess each year. If you're low, low on production, you can sell some of the picks as they start to accrue for other pieces. And that ends up being sort of how I build uh, a decent amount of my teams. Obviously, every league is different. Every team is different. Every you know individual micro economy is different. But I would say that's... Uh, that's the thing I wrote about today and, uh, and people can check that out. And, and, you know, I call and, it and I, I love the way that you think about that because like you look at a guy like Josh Jacobs last season, he was going as a fifth rounder. He finishes the RB one. He's still going as a fifth rounder. Like obviously it was a good investment because you got a year of production, but these 25 year old running backs, these 27 year old wide receivers are just never going to gain in value. So you might as well invest in, instead of investing in you know dj Moore, you might as well invest in deandre hopkins who you know is going to give you production the value doesn't really matter because both of the values are going to stay flat or decrease and then you can also obviously get a pick along with that so if you can trade dj Moore for the 110 and deandre hopkins you get the production and you get the value upside i view a guy like garrett wilson who i've been selling a lot this offseason as the same thing he's already the wide receiver six or seven people are pricing right. him in as if he's already done it. So you can move Garrett Wilson in a first for a guy like Jamar chase, or you can move Garrett Wilson for a guy like Stefan Diggs and a first, right? Like there are a lot of ways to insulate value without losing production. Um, I actually do a similar thing that, that you were talking about how you talk about, you know, essentially the lifetime value of a customer is the way that I think about it. So part of what I do with my dynasty diagnostics program is I have each player and each team therefore has a redraft value and a dynasty value. And it's how you manage to cooperate those two things together. One thing that you were talking about earlier is, you know, if you, uh, the interest that you accrue on a pick, you need to be able to hold that to accrue that interest. You know, you should view it the same way as your personal finances, right? Like we're young right now. We should be investing in our 401ks. Our 401ks will, you know, mature over time. We'll be able to get a lot more money for that later when we need the money more. It's the same way in a dynasty league. If you're not competing, it is okay to have picks. It is okay to take on riskier assets or riskier investments, just like you would when you're a young person. But once you get to that stage of actually competing, it's the balance of having those old vets and the players who are still going to, or picks who are still going to accrue value. So your team doesn't just become an absolute wasteland. So that's, that's really the key. And I, I love the way that you do it. I feel like a lot of your teams look like they're super old and washed. They have, you know, 
Aaron Jones and DeAndre Hopkins and guys like that. But listen, those guys put up points and you also have three 2024 first. So you'll be able to find the value. So then when DJ Moore is 28, you can just go buy him for a third round pick or a second round pick because you right. accrued all these extra ones. Yeah, that's that's just it's it's funny because you know obviously we've we've both interacted with Jacob a lot and it's it's so the exact opposite where he has like very age averse, yeah. uh, very pick averse, but it, it comes with the territory I think both like it makes sense in both parts where it's like I I am pretty comfortable taking on a lot of olds because I usually have excess picks so it's not like I'm like really really pro all olds I think a big mistake that a ton of dynasty players make is they go unnecessarily all in where you know they subscribe to the window theory of dynasty right it's like i have my competing window and then i have my rebuild window and they're going all out during their competing window and like there's nothing that drives me more nuts than when i have redundant assets with actual tradable value sitting on my bench like that drives me crazy where it's like if i you know because to me anything that i don't need their productive value i just want it to be a pick right like the only limiting factor of picks to me is that i can't use their production this year but Once I've reached whatever my threshold is of production of my lineup, I just want everything else to be a pick. Like it drives me nuts when I'm looking at my roster and I'm like, man, I'm deciding between three guys for this last flex spot. All three are equally viable. Like I get to this point, I feel like every year by week 10, where there's three running backs who were on my bench that had value of zero before the year, but now through some injury or happenstance, they're like equally viable as an RB2 is 15 other guys. And I'm like, Okay, I just want to start these guys that have like that I'm not sitting on any value, and I want to trade the other guys that do have value for a draft pick, and I just want to like ride like Deontay Foreman, right? Because I'm like this is a more efficient use of this spot. It's like if I can put Deontay Foreman here instead of Miles Sanders, and Deontay Foreman has like zero expectation of of value beyond this, and I can just ride him and then get I don't know a 24 second for Miles Sanders, and I'm just getting the same production in the spot. Like I want to do that, so. That's always been sort of the driving factor is like trying to figure out how to try and keep consistently competitive rosters. And I mean, obviously, um, it's not like my rosters are consistently competitive every single year. It's just it's never going to happen. But I try to, for the most part, try to keep teams from having to go into a full rebuild because that takes a lot of your expected value out, right? Like you never have that lot. Even if you have the best team in the league, you're you're not necessarily going to win. I mean, we play in a lot of leagues together and I won a couple. I would not say that the best team that I had won. Like my best yeah. team was in our Trojan War League by far. I, I think I was like two or 300 points four ahead of second place. And I lost to a team in the second round that was starting like Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, and Mitchell Wilcox. And <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> like it's, I probably beat this team by 700 points four in the regular season and, yeah. and win a single playoff game because that's just how fantasy works. Meanwhile, you know, in another league that we're in together, I have a Lamar and Hertz team that have neither of them. I'm starting Jared Goff and Jarrett Stidham in the final, and I win that one. So it's like, yeah. you know, you want to be able to give yourself as many shots as possible every year because your best teams are going to lose, and you are going to have good teams. You're going to have teams squeak in and do get hot. So I, I think, you know, if you can construct your rosters in a way, and this this will be my next piece is going to be, you know, not just going into my preferred way, but all sorts of different ways to build teams that are competitive every year that don't require, uh, you know, necessarily don't structurally require you to be bad for certain years. I I think that that gives you, you know, a really good chance because it's hard to be able to make up a lot of that 
expected value if you're constructing rosters in a way that necessitates tanks, be it out of the startup or be it, you know, after three years of being a redraft team. Uh, so again, I'm, certainly I'm not saying I never do. I think I'm generally pretty good at midway through the season, recognizing if a team just does not have the juice and pivoting, but I, I try to construct a portfolio of teams that more or less can be somewhat competitive year over year and then try to backfill that with picks. Yeah. And I, I, I love that approach. I mean, I, I do something a little differently in most of my startups. I, I do a one-year punt. And the reason that I do that is because I can establish, you know, a 30, 40% value advantage over mm-hmm. most of the rest of the league where then I never have to rebuild. So all of my, I have one-year punts that are now seven or eight years old and I was terrible the first year and I've been competitive for the last six, right? And you never have to rebuild because you can just keep that value edge Um, But like you said, there are ways to do it without ever having to tank. Because once you Mm -hmm. get to a point where you're in a mature dynasty league and you feel you have to tank, there are likely two or three teams in the league who have such a value edge on you that you might not ever make that up. And I'm not saying quit the league because I've been dealing with a lot of that as a commissioner. (laughs) Fight through it. There are ways to get back, but it's really hard once you lose that edge. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was awesome. Uh, great first episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, definitely subscribe to, uh, Jacob Substack and follow him on Twitter, uh, at Jacob Sanderson. If you do not follow him yet, uh, quick shout out, uh, for those of you who are not my patrons. Uh, I also, uh, have a Patreon, uh, for six bucks a month. You get access to all of my rankings, including startup rankings, rookie rankings, my, uh, rookie, uh, data models, things like that. And as I was mentioning, I also run a dynasty diagnostics program where I analyze each and every one of your teams, where it falls within the league structure, uh, give specific recommendations for trades to make, things like that. Uh, If you have a few teams, it's very helpful for organization, I've heard Mm. as well. Uh, I spend most of my time uh, uh, on Excel, so organization is basically all I do. Um, So yeah, uh, thank you all very much uh, for listening. And thank you, Jacob, for uh, for being my first guest on here.